Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. It's the Wednesday edition of the Talking Point, so that means that we have our health feature as we typically do on a Wednesday in the final hour of the show. Today's health feature, particularly interesting. Have you used alternative means to deal with pain management? And I ask this because growing up as a kid, my mom um, dealt with a lot of pain, a, a whole lot of pain. And her alternative way outside of Western medicine to deal with pain management was cannabis. My mom would take cannabis, boil it in a pot of water, and then drink it. Uh, and that helped with pain, at least so I understood it to be. And South Africa only recently came alive to that after extensive lobbying by the IFP forgot the name of the parliamentarian, but he played a really important role in making way for that, arguing for cannabis to be legalized for the purposes of uh, pain management. So medical marijuana has been a conversation at a regulatory level in South Africa for the last, what, four years or so. But do we have the right regulatory framework that speaks to it very directly? Dr. Shiksha Gallo, who's a cannabis clinician, does not believe that. Dr. Gallo believes that the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority does not have any official cannabis-containing medicines approved for pain relief. Dr. Gallo, why is that? Uh, yeah, so, so how it works is, you know, according to the legislation with SAPRA, the CBD, you know, the people will understand cannabinoids. Oh, you get CBD and THC. THC is a scheduled drug. It's sitting as a scheduled six. So in order for anybody to have a South African medicine, it has to be registered with SAPRA, which means you need to put in a dossier. SAPRA needs to approve it. You need to show a safe and effective. It's put in the same map as any other yeah. scheduled six drug. So um, that is why we are busy with the study because, you know, we're looking to prove in the South African context that this medicine can actually replace opioids uh, with, um, uh, you know, with the medical cannabis can actually do that for chronic pain. And then once we do that, we were able to have data with the medicines that we are using in the study and actually be able to have a dossier. So there will be medicines coming soon, but it's quite a long, laborious process. It takes about five years. I put in a dossier about a couple of years ago. I think it was beginning of 2019, and we should be getting some feedback really soon. But it is a long process to register the medicine with SAPRA. So we're trying to see, you know, it should people should actually have access to this. They shouldn't be denied it. And that's, that's why we're doing the research to show from a clinical perspective and to also show other clinicians, um, you know, because what's the first thing they're going to ask is, does it work? How does the science work? And it's all about education. And if they can see the science behind it together with the clinical data on studies that we have shown and proven, then we will get the buy-in from more health practitioners to actually, you know, prescribe it. So as we stand, do we have enough clinical data to prove the efficacy and safety of cabinets-related medical products for pain relief? Look, it's been used for centuries. If you look at a South African context, we've been using it as an African traditional medicine for years and years. Uh, you know, you mentioned about your mom, which is a perfect example. You know, our African traditional doctors, and our, we have a lot of indigenous knowledge. So from that sense, yes, there is. In India, it's been used. In China, it's been used. Uh, so it has been used as a medicine. You know, even the queen used it for menstrual cramps at one stage, you know, and, and many, many years ago. So there is evidence. There's also the first registered cannabis medicine, which is called Sativex in the U.S., which is actually used to treat, treat patients with multiple sclerosis. 
So the evidence is there in a global context, but in South Africa, the answer is no, because there wasn't actually any physical clinical trial done in South Africa. So, so, so the evidence we have in South Africa is anecdotal at best. 100%. And the anecdotal evidence is so good. You know, that's still evidence, because if you put all ah, those but, case but, studies but together... But you, right? Dr. Gallo, you know we don't make policy based on the rigor of anecdotes, right? Yeah, unfortunately not, but that's why we're doing this research now to prove from a clinical efficiency, from a more clinical data. That's why we're doing mm. this research. That's the main objective. Lebu, our senior producer, just remind me that Mario Ambrosini was the IFP MP who did all of that legislative lobbying. Between the time the Ambrosini bill was passed, turned into law, uh, and now, what what has progressed other than speaking about cannabis from a cultivation as well as a commercialization perspective? In the medical sense, has there been any conversation at all? No, not really. The conversation just died down. The stock is very powerful. You know, you can actually um, now grow cannabis on a Section 22C license, but that is only allowed for export. Uh, what we're doing now, patients can access medical cannabis via the Section 21. What a Section 21 means is you apply to SAPRA for an unregistered medicine, and I've done many Section 21 applications. It's just very laborious for the doctor with all the paperwork. That you do you want to, do you want to tell us what a Section 21 application is? Okay, so Section 21 is, there is no registered medicine, as I mentioned earlier, right? So if yeah. I want to put a patient on a cannabis medicine and there's nothing registered, the law allows us to apply for an unregistered medicine. So that is where the, what a Section 21 is. So there's many unregistered medicines in South Africa, but it's registered somewhere else, like in Canada or America or wherever. And um, what we do then is we apply for that Section 21 for that patient for that specific disease. We also have these flower, the flower that we're busy now using in the research that patients can actually also use as a Section 21 where we apply for it. So that gives them legal access, allowing them to use cannabis. But as I said, it's a really laborious process. The patient has to pay a 350 rand fee to get that Section 21 approved. And then the patient mm. has to also pay for the medicine. And the medicine is really expensive. We're talking 2,800, 3,800 rand for about a month's supply. And it, it, it is very expensive as well. So that's why we're pushing for priority for the African medicine so it can be much cheaper. And then p- the doctors can just prescribe it. So what that means is many doctors don't want to do a Section 21 because it's a lot of paperwork for them. They'd rather mm. just give mm. the patient opioids because it's easier for them to write that script. There's only doctors like myself that believe in cannabis so much, and we have a group of over 100 of us um, that want to do it, that we have to do this the legal way instead of going and suggesting go and get it from back street because we don't know how people are actually making it, you know. So that is what we're doing mm. now. And the research will then open the door for these patients. The research will then allow you to try cannabis, take cannabis at no cost to you, and then we will see how you're doing. And that will give you legal access to a credible medicine that's made and manufactured in a GMP facility, that's manufactured with no toxins, manufactured correctly. And that is my concern with cannabis as well, Oliver. If people actually been, you know, the cannabis has had has such a bad name because people mm. are buying it back street. I'll give you an example. I had an 80-year-old patient a couple of years back. She fell down, broke her hip, and the emergency unit was admitted into trauma unit. They phoned and said, oh, cannabis is terrible. They were just chatting in general when I met the doctor. Then I called that patient in to actually see that patient, and we tested the cannabis oil that patient was taking, and we found the patient that cannabis oil was mixed with engine oil, and she bought it from a friend that was saying that was saying, yeah. 
So people are trying their luck. Why else would anyone mix engine oil into cannabis oil? Because they're trying to make a quick buck. I don't know if engine oil is cheaper than normal oil. I have no idea. Oh, no, I can tell you it's not very cheap. (laughs) So I'm not sure. But, you know, it's just little things like that. Um, Another patient brought in some of the oil that they bought back street and he's measured it. It was very, very high in toxins. The alcohol content was extremely high. It failed. So they shouldn't have been taking that medicine uh, as well. So that is why, you know, from a medicinal point of view, I do agree it needs to be regulated if you're prescribing it for a specific condition. But I also believe, on the other hand, that South Africa should be open because we have a tradition of this. This is our African traditional medicine. It's our heritage. We have indigenous knowledge that other countries do not have. And we should also open it up on a traditional sense because we've been treating patients with traditional medicine for, for centuries. So I feel that Africa should have a joint kind of a legislation to combine our indigenous knowledge and traditional systems and safe pharmaceutical type scenarios for patients. That is what I, I, I think. Yeah. So when it comes to product development and R&D into cannabis products for these uh, for these purposes, uh, the rigor of the data matters because it informs, for instance, dosage as a patient, right? I can't, for instance... Uh, grow. I mean, I could, right? But it would be, I would think, inadvisable to grow my own cannabis at home and then just, you know, treat it, treat it the way my mother did, because I don't know if I'm underdosing, overdosing, if I'm taking it the right times. And this is why medical professionals like yourself matter, because your research would determine uh, things like that. Um, where do we currently stand as far as that is concerned, uh, yeah, except for people, for instance, who are self-medicating? Point. Yeah, you see, people are obviously self-medicating because the legislation allows that. They allow you to grow it and do whatever you want with it. So if you're just taking, like what your mom did, is taking the leaves and making a tea, that's great. It doesn't matter with dosage. But when you start extracting the oil and decarboxylating it and making, you know, specific cannabinoids for specific diseases, then the dose is important. Because what we found is people not think, oh, cannabis is legal or decriminalized. You can grow it. They start making cookies and all these funny things. And then the THC yeah. content is too high. <laughs> Don't call and it funny things. They are real people, <laughs> they, they, they take too much, you know, and then they start end up with psychosis. We've seen it. They end yes. up in admitted yes. in trauma unit, like and because they don't know how to handle it. So what we say when we dose, we start slow. Sorry, start low. We call it start low and go slow. We call it microdosing. So we start with a very very slow dose, and we start building up the cannabinoids in the system until it reaches an effective dose where that we see actually work for that patient. So the patient doesn't have the side effects of psychosis. They're not actually high. So, for example, all of my patients, they are on doses of cannabis CBD plus THC of the cannabinoids, and they go to work. They are not high. It's the way that we dose them, and that's very important. Just to get back on your question with regards to CBD, firstly, CBD is a non-psychoactive part of the plant. You know, you would have seen a lot of CBD products and all of that. So my honest opinion is we do not feel that CBD should be regulated. So what the regulations say now, um, Oliver, any CBD that's over 600 milligrams for the month supply of a patient which is taking 20 milligrams of dose per day for 30 days is allowed on a schedule zero. Anything greater than that 600 milligrams for that month becomes a schedule four. So that also is very difficult because we all know 20 milligrams of CBD is too low. It's not going to do anything for you, especially if you're trying to treat certain conditions. So what we're looking at is patients should allow, be allowed to use CBD because it doesn't have the 
there's a psychotic effect, so the psychoactive effects like the THC molecule does, if I'm making yeah. sense. But, but so, so even if we think, think about home cultivation, uh, CBD uh, needs to be extracted out of the flower, and that process, I'm assuming, is technical. I've never done it myself. Uh, but but how, how would how do you do that? If I came to you for a consultation and you prescribed CBD as a remedy for me, would you do the extraction? No, no. So what we do now, we obviously got GMP labs. So there are labs, uh, many labs in South Africa that are currently extracting um, cannabis for cannabinoids now. But what we use for the Section 21, we will use medicines that are already extracted. It comes in an oil already. We will work up that titrations and dose for the patients. But we do have labs that are already busy with extraction. But also it's quite a difficult process. A lot of people are doing it in the kitchens and stuff, but I, some of them do ethanol extractions where they're able to extract out using ethanol. But then again, you don't want your ethanol levels to be too high because that's also toxic. So that is why, when from a medicinal point of view, if you want the oil, we say it has to be you know, regulated to an extent where the doses are worked out, the different cannabinoid profiles are worked out for different diseases. Because what we found is there's different doses and different cannabinoids that work with different diseases. For example, your CBG, which is another cannabinoid besides your CBD and THC, is really, really good for pain. So just having like a 5% or a 3 to 5% CBG in the medicines that we're using, for example, for the research, it helps those patients with the pain. So we're looking at targeted cannabinoid profiles for diseases. For cancer, for example, we know for specific cancers that there needs to be specific cannabinoids and specific ratios that need to actually work for that patient. So if you're doing it now at your house, you're not going to know all of the science or whatever. You're just going to take any plant and just grow it and then try and do your thing. What we also do with the plants when we're growing, we have growers that work with specific genetics with us. We go down to the phenotypes. We call them phenotype hunting. We actually look at specific phenotypes and genetics for specific diseases. So it's such an exciting scientific process because there's so much more to it than just smoking a joint. Yeah. Dr. Gallo, thank you so much for your time. Really, really, really do appreciate it. We're going to have to leave it there for today, but really appreciate a lot of those insights. Um, and, and, and I hope that as more research is being done into this, we can have more of these conversations with uh, rigorous data at hand. But do appreciate it. Uh, that's Dr. Gallo, who's a cannabis clinician. It's half past 11. Let's take your news headlines.